Here's Pastor Ed Ray on Growing Grace. Religion is man's quest for God. The good news, the gospel is God seeking lost people. Religion originated here on earth, but the gospel originated in heaven. Religion is man-made. The gospel is God-breathed. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place God will dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your Hello and welcome to Grow in Grace. You know, each of us go through certain periods where we question the meaning of life and what will occur after death. Even the hard-hearted atheist contemplates that in one degree or another, I'm sure. Now in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, we're introduced to a man who definitely has knowledge of Jesus. That knowledge requires a response, but he's not sure what kind. So he comes to Jesus for answers, and that's certainly the right place to go. So let's join Pastor Ed Ray in John chapter 3, see what it takes to get to heaven. John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel? That was his correct title. Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testified what we have seen. You do not receive our witness. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have told us heavenly things. And that in this section, you desire for us to understand the new birth. So speak to us now. Send your spirit to teach us. We ask it in Jesus' name and all of God's people agreed by saying, Amen. Amen. I was reading an old Billy Graham book, and in it he's describing traveling when he was a young evangelist from church to church. There weren't any stadiums or anything like that. And he was in the South, and he came to a southern town where he was going to speak in a Baptist church that night. 
And he came early and went to the park to finish a letter he'd been writing to send back home. Finished the letter, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, looked around for a mailbox, he couldn't see any. But there was a little boy a little bit away, away from him, and so he walked over. He said, son, can you tell me where the post office is? And the kid looked up and said, sure, mister, it's just right around the corner on the right. And he said, thank you very much. I'm going to speak tonight in the church across the way. I'm going to speak on how to get to heaven, how you can find heaven. Would you like to come? And the kid said, I don't think so, mister. Graham said, well, why not? He said, you can't find the post office. You're going to tell me how to get to heaven? <laughs> so a lot of people <laughs> in this world don't know how to get to heaven. A lot of religious people don't understand this critical question. Many years ago, my wife and I were missionaries in Europe, Eastern Europe and Western Europe. And uh, we worked with some other Americans and some Dutchmen. And one of the Americans we worked with is a retired colonel. And he's a spit and polished guy, just very military, rigid, straight, but actually a lot of fun to work with. I was with him one day and we were waiting for somebody. I said, so tell me, Bill is his name. He said, tell me, how did you become born again? What happened? And he said, well, I really don't like to tell the story, but I'll tell you. He said, I was walking down the streets of Madrid, Spain, and I was in full dress uniform. He was a colonel, a bird colonel. And he said, around the corner, there's a kid, an American kid, a pimply-faced teenager, he said, 17, 18 years old, handing out some kind of brochure. And as I walked past, I took one, I looked at it, stopped, read, and it was a gospel track. I handed it back to him. I said, thanks, I don't need that. The kid said, mister, have you been born again? And he pulled himself up to his full height and he pointed to his collar and said, see these crosses right here, boy? That says that I am a chaplain in the Air Force. He says, yes, sir, but are you born again? He said, no, you don't understand, son. I have a doctorate of ministry and I have a PhD too. I preach in the largest chapel that the Air Force has in Europe every Sunday. Yes, sir, but are you born again? And he said, 20 years of preaching, 20 years of putting sermons together, and you ask me if I'm born again. And he said, yes, sir, are you born again? And he said, this time, the question went into his heart like an arrow from heaven. And he heard God say to him in his heart, Bill, it's time for you to quit messing around and come all the way. And he said, and so I got down on my knees on a sidewalk in Madrid, Spain, and an 18-year-old led me to Jesus Christ. Now, yeah, praise God. And I told you that story because that's very close to what we just read about. Here was this Jewish priest who was a member of the highest court of Israel in Jerusalem who had been teaching all his life. In fact, he had reached the position, I stopped for a moment, the teacher of Israel Meaning, if there was anyone who was arguing, two rabbis arguing some fine, minute point of the law, they would go to him and he would arbitrate. He was the guy who would make the final decision. This is what God meant when he said this. So, kind of like my friend Bill, who had been around religion all his life, 
he had never found the key to open the door. It says he was rich. Nicodemus thought he was rich, but he wasn't. He was rich in money, but he was poor in spiritual things. Nicodemus thought he was religious, that he was close to God. He wasn't religious. He was legalistic. He was just following rules and regulations, commandments. And he thought he was righteous right before God. But he wasn't. He had missed that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So this is an encounter between one of the major leaders of the Jewish faith and Jesus Christ in the first century. It's a fascinating story to me because it contrasts these two things. Religion is man's quest for God. The good news, the gospel is God seeking lost people. Religion originated here on earth, but the gospel originated in heaven. Religion is man-made. The gospel is God-breathed. This section contains the most commonly quoted verse used to describe God's plan of salvation. We've seen it all over. It's even in football games. You know, John 3.16, God so loved the world. But this one is actually quoted more. You must be born again. So, we live in a time where most politicians claim to be born again. Of course, they claim a lot of other stuff, too. We live in a time where sports stars, athletes, and movie stars all claim to be born again, and then they talk trash. So what does it mean? What is this statement, you must be born again? Well, this section breaks up into three parts, and God spells it out step by step. Nicodemus, the guy who's asking the questions, he doesn't get it in this section. But we'll see later that it does finally get to him. First three verses, searching questions. He asks three questions, Nicodemus. Actually, two we'll see as we go through it. Jesus gives the eternal answer, the spiritual answer, which he doesn't understand, verse 4 through 9. And then Jesus challenges him because he doesn't believe Jesus. Now, this is a man who sat down quietly with the creator of the universe and had time to ask him anything. Wouldn't you like that opportunity? Actually, it's available to you right now. Jesus said wherever people gather together in his name, he's there in the midst. So what is it that you're struggling with? What did you come in with this morning? What do you need to leave here at, at the altar, at the platform here? and give it to Jesus. I'm encouraging you to put yourself in this story. Now, many people know this verse. The danger is when you think you understand it, you miss the whole thing. So throw up a quick prayer and say, God, please show me something new. I haven't seen before this. Give me a nugget, give me a jewel to take away that I can think about the rest of the day. Well, there you have an introduction to this very familiar passage. And we'll get into it in much greater detail now in the second half of Pastor Ed Ray's message on Growing Grace. We're in John chapter 3. Let's jump in. 
see what the Holy Spirit might say to you. He's been speaking to me all week, last two weeks. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Now, you might remember the Pharisees, they're just the name Pharisee in the Hebrew language means set aside. They thought they were holy. They thought that they were above everybody else. They kept the law, the word is fastidiously, every little dot and every little T that needed to be crossed. That's what they were doing because they thought that would make them right with God. This one, Nicodemus, is the head of the Pharisees. He is a member of the Sanhedrin, which is their name for what we would call the Supreme Court. There were 70 men that sat on it, and he was the one who was the head. He was a ruler. We know from early church history that his name was Nicodemus Ben-Gurion, son of Gurion. And he had a brother who was more famous than him. Josephus was a historian for the Romans, actually with a Jewish background. And Talmud says that this is Josephus's brother, who is the third most rich man in Israel. So he spent his whole life trying to keep righteousness, trying to be righteous by keeping these rules and regulations. And I might say probably most of us in this room who went to church as kids grew up in a church that taught that. You just keep these rules and regulations and you do enough good things to outweigh the bad and you get to go to heaven. I did. I grew up in a church like that. I thought that's what it meant to get to heaven. You do enough good things to outweigh all the bad things. But it wasn't very long until I figured out that there weren't enough good things I could do, (laughs) which is the beginning of salvation. So they took, the Pharisees took the law of God, Ten Commandments, right? Moses comes down with Ten Commandments. And they added to it and added details that God never said. And in fact, there is a book called the Mishnah in the Jewish faith, still around today, on the subject of just keeping the Sabbath. There are 24 chapters in the Mishnah explaining two verses on the Ten Commandments. And if that wasn't bad enough, they wrote a book to explain the mission called the Talmud. And it spends 156 pages long to explain what the Mishnah meant when it said 24 chapters on two verses. Any wonder why they were throwing their hands up and saying, we can't keep all these things. Example, you shall do no labor on the Sabbath. They said that meant that you couldn't do anything on the Sabbath day, which anyone got paid for doing the other days of the week. Like if, if you were a fisherman, you tied knots as you repaired your nets. So you couldn't tie a knot on the Sabbath. There was an exception. You could do it, if you could do it with one hand, tie a knot and a rope with one hand, which is pretty tough to do, you could do that, but most people couldn't, so there was one other rule. If you could use your wife's girdle, her corset, you could tie that to something and then it would be lawful. You need water from a well. You take a bucket, take your, steal your wife's girdle, tie it onto it, and then tie the girdle to the rope, and then you could let it down and pull it back up, and you hadn't broken the law. Of course, your wife got pneumonia because she was wearing a wet girdle, but that's another whole story. 
The point is, this man was living by man-made laws, not by God, and he thought that was the ticket to heaven. Verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night. And there's a lot of speculation why it says by night. Obviously, it was nighttime. But this man only appears in the Gospel of John. Nicodemus is not mentioned in the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Three times he's mentioned, and three times it says he came to Jesus by dark. So John took that as a very important signal for us. So why would the head of the Jewish Sanhedrin come to Jesus after dark and not during the day? Well, some said, well, there were so many people he wanted to have a quiet time with Jesus. That may be the reason. But I think it's probably more likely that he didn't want to be seen with the carpenter from Nazareth. Why? Because Jesus was a backwoods preacher, didn't have any education, never went to seminary, didn't go to the university at the temple in Jerusalem. He helped his dad build oxen yokes. And so he didn't want anyone to know that he was going to him. Now, John wrote this 70 years after the other three Gospels were written, and a lot of things had happened. Nicodemus was martyred, according to church history, in the first century, shortly after this encounter and Jesus being laid in the tomb by Nicodemus and a man named Joseph of Arimathea. So he comes to Jesus with a quiet evening, one-on-one. -on -one. Jesus still comes to people at quiet times. I usually get up early, and I have my favorite chair and my bulldog in front of the fire, and I ask him theological questions. I'm kidding. I, I read the Bible and, and talk to Jesus. I would highly recommend it to you. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, Nicodemus says, for no one can do these signs, these miracles that you do unless God is with him. We know who is that? It might be just a polite way of speaking, but it seems to me that the, there are other priests who have been watching Jesus. He's up there in the Temple Mount, if you were with us last time. He'd already turned over the money changers' tables. He'd thrown all the cattle and lambs out. But he also was doing miracles. And they're not recorded in the Gospel of John. Why aren't they here? Well, we know that the Gospel of John only has seven miracles in it. And John tells us why in chapter 20. He said, I write these things to you of these seven miracles so that you would know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And believing that, you might have eternal life. So he didn't record all the people that were healed up on the Temple Mount that day. This is the first year of Jesus' ministry. And he's already healing hundreds of people. So Nicodemus says, we can see you're doing miracles. You have to be from God. Luke 4, 32 said that the priests were amazed at his teaching because he spoke his message with authority. He wasn't quoting other rabbis. He was saying, this is what God says because he's God. So Nicodemus the one who thought he was very religious, very righteous, and very rich is none of the above. But this is his day. 
This is the day of salvation for Nicodemus. We don't know how long we have. I've been accused of, of scaring people. I'm not, I'm not trying to. I had a close encounter with this virus, coronavirus, not long ago, most of you know. And I didn't know whether I was going to make it through. God said, I don't want you in heaven. Stay here. Kicked out of heaven. There you go. So that's why I'm here this morning. But the point is, I didn't know whether I was ever going to leave the hospital. Now, my first car was an old hot rod, and the speedometer and the odometer didn't work, and the gas gauge didn't work. So anytime I drove that car, it was a exercise in faith. How far will you go before you run out of gas? I use that illustration because that's true about every one of us. We don't know how much time we have. So when are we going to run out of gas? Well, then we probably should be really careful with today. And that's the point. Jesus said today is the day of salvation. So Jesus answers, it says in verse 3, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus answered, but if you look back, Nicodemus really didn't ask a question. He said, we know that you must be from God because nobody could do these things. But then Jesus answers a question Nicodemus didn't ask. Why? Well, I've thought about that a lot. And I have experienced that with my teachers, professors. I had one particularly bright one, and I was in graduate school, and biochemistry, and, and I'd go and ask him a question, and I'd think he, he didn't hear me, because he answers a completely different question than what I asked. And the first time I said that, I don't think you heard me. And he said something like, I don't think you heard me, son. Uh-oh, I missed something. He was so bright that he knew that the question I was asking wasn't the one I really needed to know. In fact, I didn't even know how to ask it. And so he knew that would lead to a second question that would lead to the third question, what was really bothering me. He knew it already. He was way ahead of me. I think that's what's happening here, that Jesus anticipates where Nicodemus is going when he said, you must be from heaven. Nicodemus, you're here because you want to know how to get to heaven. That's where Jesus is going. Unless you're born again, you can't get into the kingdom. Most assuredly, or truly, truly, or verily, verily, other translations say, it occurs 25 times in the Gospel of John. John was there. He was listening, and he remembered that over and over again, Jesus said, listen up. This is the truth. I'm about ready to say something really important. Write this down. Unless one is born again. Now, the old revised version says anew, unless you are born anew. And that's actually a little bit better translation of this Greek word. But it is a statement about new birth starting over. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, like kindergarten, first grade, and if you were playing a game with the other kids and you blew it, you did something wrong, you could say do over and it would wipe away all your sins, everything you did wrong. This is the do over for God. Jesus said, you get a do-over for all that stuff in your heart, the stuff you remember at two in the morning. God goes for the heart. Jesus is going for his heart. Thanks for being with us for Grow in Grace. 
We're studying the Gospel of John right now with Pastor Ed Ray. And if you joined us late or you just want to hear this again, go online to thepackinghouse.org. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. Or call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. This program is made possible through the support of listeners just like you. We have an exciting resource to tell you about today. It's Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Grace is a word we love to hear, but many of us don't know what it really means. Sure, it's how God saves us, but it's also how we grow. Pastor Chuck Smith shares insights from his own life and reveals how grace changes everything in our lives when properly understood and applied. Just give us a call at 844-77-GRACE and we'll send this your way for a gift of any amount. That's 844-77-GRACE. We'd also like to hear what God is up to in your life. Is he using this program to help you grow in grace? We want to know. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's all the time we have for today, but mark this spot in John's Gospel and join us next time as together we grow in grace with Pastor Ed Ray. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, Let this world know me by your love.